Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Peter Sandel. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the Commodore of Cocktails. Uh, hope you are having a quarantini <laughs> with some friends via Zoom. <laughs> Uh, it is still a uh, COVID apocalypse, and we are all in, inside, turning into our own kind of zombies. Uh, I'm getting used to this sweatpants and T-shirts and uh, sleeping in. It reminds me of summer vacation back in high school. It's been a long time, but I kind of smiled to myself and said, wow, you know, waking up with the sunshine and, and not really having anything pressing to do. Uh, of course, you know, we are in, um, industrious and keeping busy because we are entrepreneurs and professionals and we always like learning and stuff. Um, but it gave me time to reminisce as well, thinking back to high school and all the things that have changed here in our, our fair city. Uh, growing up in West Seattle, I've been here since 1972. And so I, I kind of think of myself as one of the the old guard, if you will. Um, I remember the bubbleator at uh, the Seattle Center. I remember Ivers Hagland down there on, on the wharf. Um, I remember the Spokane Street Bridge before it got hit by that uh, boat. And I remember some of the great restaurants in Seattle. And those are kind of disappearing, especially with this COVID thing. And um, it's it's really a sad uh, time for um, our culture here with the uh, property values going up. And because growing up in the service industry has been such a passion of mine, such a rewarding career. Um, you know, my parents are doctors. I say they're, they work in a hospital and I work in hospitality. So we both, we all take care of people. And to me, that's one of the most rewarding things uh, in life. And um, I have a chance to speak with one of my old longtime pals here, um, um, Pete Hanning. And he is the the owner, the uh, the former owner of uh, one of uh, Fremont's iconic, or actually Seattle's iconic uh, restaurants, bars, pubs, um, called the Red Door. And Pete Hanning's going to share uh, a little story about his history, how he got involved with the Red Door. And, uh, well, unfortunately, it's it's sad demise. But let's uh, start on a happy note. Hey, Pete Hanning, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Well, thank you. Should I uh, call you Commodore or just Christopher? <laughs> yeah, you've called me a lot of things in the past, but uh, you can pick one. Commodore's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know uh, speaking of your high school days, I'm just thinking uh, – because you went to Kennedy, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, were you rocking a mullet? Because, you know, not being able to get our hair cut these days, you know, I think the mullet <laughs> might be making a, uh, a fierce and uh, fierce comeback. That's right. Business in front, party in the back. Of course I was rocking a mullet, man. I had the best hair. Oh, shoot. You know, I would have. Oh, man, that's another story. Uh, you need to post some photos on the social media channels of that mullet, man. <laughs> I just saw my old uh, yearbook picture from college, and I, I had a good mullet there, too. But, um, yeah, those were the days. And, uh, of course, yeah. uh, things have changed. The hairlines have receded. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rates have gone up. Let's talk about you, Pete Hanning. You grew up in Seattle? All right. I sure did. I'm a Quaker out of Franklin High, so just a little north of Kennedy. There you go. Oh, boy, all the way. All right. So all the uh, way. tell me, what was your first restaurant gig, and, and what year was that? Uh, so my first restaurant job uh, was working for uh, Spiro. No uh, way. Spiro Alagas, uh, who owned Olympia Pizza and started all the Greek Olympia Pizza uh, restaurant chains. Shoot. Uh, was... 
uh, a big influence in me uh, on my life. Uh, he actually he had this really sweet kind of program to bring in kids to be dishwashers. He knew that he had to wait till you were 16 to legally hire you. Right. So uh, what he did is he was always mining the 15-year-olds to come in and fold pizza boxes twice oh, a week. Yeah. You'd come in for like an hour, and you would fold a mountain of pizza boxes. He would pay you 10 bucks, and he would give you some, you know, a, a pizza sub sandwich and some soda pop at the end. And really what he was doing is he figured if the kids showed up on time and worked diligently, that was his next crop. So if you were late, he never asked you back and he never hired you. <laughs> um, wow. And so, you know, uh, and, it, and to this day, uh, although I don't have Greek blood in me, I have always had an affinity to greek operators uh my local is still mike's chili parlor oh yeah uh, i know you are a, a, a high school classmate of mike simadaris yep they're going to be celebrating 100 years in 2022 oh wow fourth generation wow and then also i go to vula's offshore oh yeah uh, nico and psyche you know they are both yep. uh greek operators and great operators so since my first days uh i really have a an affinity towards uh the hard work and just the hospitality that that culture has brought to the the restaurant hospitality scene. Yeah, I did a couple stints of Pegasus Pizza with uh, the Greeks down there in Alki over the last nice. few summers. That was fun. And were you working at the Queen Anne store there, or were you working at uh, yeah the OG the, the the Queen Anne space? My goodness. I remember hanging out there because my buddy was uh, Chris, Christopher Walls, and he was working there. <laughs> he used to bring yes. pizza all yeah, the time. Yeah, I worked with Andy Walls. Yeah, of course. Too funny. Yeah. How about that? Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So you started with pizza, but you didn't get into a pizza biz. You worked, started dishwashing. You realized that wasn't where you wanted to be. Did you yeah, go front so of house I started, or what? Uh, quickly, I uh, transitioned to the front of the house. There you wash dishes and bus tables. Um, you sure. know, I've always been a pretty social person. Uh, I think I'm driving my wife crazy these last couple of weeks and being on a on home arrest, uh, you know, because I need to talk all the time and have <laughs> social interaction. And I think I'm, I'm definitely wearing on her a little. Uh, but um, I worked there for around a year, and then um, I went down to another uh, classic Seattle institution, the old Spaghetti Factory down uh, there on the waterfront yep. across from Pier 70. And worked there uh, from high school until my 21st year in 91. And I did, um, I bus tables, I hosted, I uh, did janitorial work there. I then uh, became a waiter and a bartender there. So you were a manager um, early on, it sounds like. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I learned a lot of great skills there, met lots of great people. It was such a big restaurant. Um, that there was always an energy and it also, you know, you know, what it might've lacked in kind of like culinary kind of highbrow food. Right. It really, that place was a place where big families could come young couples on first dates, elderly people, solo diners. I mean, it, it really kind of welcomed them all and i i've always enjoyed places that kind of had that atmosphere 
That's fantastic. I know that the Seattle, uh, the old spaghetti factory, had has a huge list of, um, of alumni, if you will, and that are, are working around. Well, we're working around town. You included. Uh, I've met so many of people who worked at the, the spaghetti factory. It's one of those uh, really uh, almost a restaurant employee factory to a degree because you learn, oh, you sure. know, how to take volume. You learn how to uh, obviously, you know, clean up messes. I mean, it's it's a little different style, but. Because it's fast paced, right? Because it's so oh, busy. Man, it's hustle. Man, you gotta you gotta my mom ran a garbage company for decades here in Seattle and she always said that, you know, everyone sings a song, but she needed drivers who sang a fast song. And <laughs> I think in hospitality, especially in a in a concept like that and in most of the places that I've really worked and thrived, you gotta be able to sing a fast song. So you're 21. It's the 1990s, which were great times, man. I remember working yeah. at Casa Ubecha. You know, Belltown oh, was so. For, uh, for one of my mentors, Jeff Steichen. Yeah. Oh. Jeff yeah. Steichen. Yep. I I I love that guy, and he's still a dear friend. Uh, um, and he really Have taught me a lot. You had him on this the this radio program. I've asked him a couple times, right? You know, because he owned the Showbox and he owned uh, oh. Soto Showbox, and of course Batch Two Hundred Six Distillery. And you know, he's playing that new dad part. Uh, of course, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but we'll have to get him on here and oh, talk about the old my days. God. Well, you might have to. I don't know. Uh, you'll have to have someone on the. Uh, the bleeping thing, because, uh, you know, it might be after uh, happy hour after hours or something, but he can tell a tale. Yes, we had we had a great time in Belltown. It was the uh, Queen City, Frontier Room, Casi Betcha, and Mama's. We were the four restaurants, and, of course, yep. Casi was the newest one, and that place was just rocking. And I, that was the days when we had $2 pints, man, 250 pints yeah. of beer. We were sucking oh, down Pyramid. Yeah, too much fun. I mean, all the Sonic players used to hang out there yep. at, and all the NBA players after a game. I mean, that's where you went. That's right. It was so fun. I worked there for six and a half years, had a great time, and uh, what a blast. And, of course, uh, you moved on from the Spaghetti Factory. What was next on your horizon? So, you know, um, I needed to get a second gig. Um, and so one of my, the, the woman who hired me at the old spaghetti factory in 96, um, had left the red or left the uh, old spaghetti factory. She and her husband and a business partner, uh, started a bar in Fremont called the red door. And so I actually, I have two people in my life who have hired me twice. And Deanna Duskin is, uh, the first of those, um, so I got a job working at the Red Door in 91. I had just turned 21. And, you know, until then, I didn't realize the impact and power of a neighborhood local. Right. And, you know, most of my, you know, I had bounced around a little in Seattle. But if there was one neighborhood where I probably spent more time as a, a Cretan, <laughs> just you know with my buddies it was fremont fremont was seedy and much more blue collar um you know the largest aa meeting in the northwest the fremont uh fellowship oh yeah across the street right um it's still going up on aurora um and so you had you know all these like biker bars and then this huge aa contingent and there was just you know, the probably the most amount of 
vintage stores in any neighborhood in the Seattle area for sure. Yeah, I remember uh, going out to, was it? Well, Kitchy Q was up in Roosevelt, but there were a couple of shops I used to go buy, uh, uh, you know, my heavy metal gear when I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All that yeah, vintage yeah. stuff. Wow, that takes yeah. me back. I forgot that, you know, as we we get sort of gentrified in our, our, our history, we think about, you know, it, it we, we just start see all these new buildings and, and everything looks yeah. cleaner. Yeah. And to go back to Fremont, you just took me way back. And it's like, you're right. Um, just like Belltown used to be seedy and, and with, uh, you know, the vagrants and prostitutes and all that. Um, Fremont was, uh, I, you know, it's funny because we look back on that and like, is life better now? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, I one of the things that I really have always tried to do because I had an opportunity to work at the Red Door from 91 to 95 when we were a hot spot with the college kids. Yep. Line out the door on Thursday night. You know, this is when uh, faded denim shirts were uh, in fashion, and you know, <laughs> so, like that kind of preppy uh, look was still uh, running its course. Thursdays was the night too. We used to go to the yes, attic, it yeah. Was. And then, uh, you know, I bought back in in '01, but every time period, and then from '01 to 2000, you know, 2020, you know, each has their own important time period. And the people who are working there and the people who are coming in through your door as your guests, like, those are the important people and those are the important times. As much as it's nice to get nostalgic, right? you know, it does, it, it, it's a – I've always found it, it's a slippery slope. Um, I want to know why we came from – where we came from and who were the people who kind of built the foundations and how we can add our, our stones to that foundational wall. But also recognize that other people are going to come along and keep on building on it. This is true, and that's part of uh, you know this. It's the legacy we leave, and of course, people build yeah. on that. And you you carried that torch for the Red Door for many years. I'm speaking with Pete Hanning, who is the uh, owner operator, former owner operator of the Red Door in Fremont's. Uh, well, the center of the universe, as far as I'm concerned, and we're talking about his history, of course, uh, what's happening in Fremont, and, uh, well, what's happening with the Red Door these days. I thought uh, we, we'd have a great time to um, participate and chat up with uh, Pete Hanning. So stick around, folks. Uh, I'm going to pour myself a little Four Roses small batch bourbon uh, that I got in the mail today and just sit back and relax. So you two have to pour something. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon. KBI. KBI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hope you are secure, safe, and uh, pouring yourself something delicious on this Saturday night. I'm speaking with a good pal of mine, Pete Hanning, who uh, grew up here in Seattle. He's a Franklin Quaker. He worked at the old spaghetti factory, then, of course, uh, got his foundation at Spiro's on top of Queen Anne. Uh, stayed in an Italian vein and then got a job over at the Red Door. So, Pete, you were working at the Red Door. You were digging hospitality. You're doing uh, your waiting tables. Um, how did you get into this ownership idea? You know, I think, uh, I mean, I fell in love with hospitality right away and um, saw these people that were creating a life for themselves, and it just really spoke to me. Um, It met me in so many ways. I mean, 
I, there isn't an industry that has better people in it. You're going to make some of the best friends of your lives. You're going to meet these just amazing people. And then when I started at the Red Door, I mean, we're talking about the very zenith of the beginning of the craft beer revolution. That's true, yeah. Um, and Red Hook was still Red down Door, there. The Red Door was the second craft beer bar uh, in the Northwest, uh, right behind the Latona. Uh, Bob Brenlin's place is wow. a, a real mentor of mine. Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, was kind of jumped, you know, from the deep end immediately into this this world of old world beers, um, new world beers, kind of the, the emerging back then, you know, we called them micros, but uh, what is known as craft beer. Uh, and just had such the amazing opportunity as a 21, 22, 23-year-old to be in these rooms with the leading world experts in the beer industry. Um, and I, re- I feel very fortunate. I mean, a lot of it just seems to have been um, some luck. Uh, but I just, you know, it, it, it met me, and I was so fortunate. Well, I remember, you know, one of the best things about working in restaurants is that we had instant gratification. The, the the people were happy. They said thank you. And, of course, there were some tips at the end, and that really drove me. Is like, hold this, walking out of those restaurants each day or each weekend and every night with a couple of bucks in your pocket with when you're just a teenager and maybe a college student. Uh, so much, it was so much fun. It gave you like, oh, yeah. it, it was like a license to be, you know, you, you just had money in your pocket. This is before credit cards, right? We never use credit cards for everyday purchases. No. We always use cash. No. Yeah. So uh, yeah, exactly. I remember, uh, you had Red Hook Brewery down there, of course. And, um, yep. didn't they have a place called Forecasters? Didn't they have a little, little bar no, down the, there? The, the one in Fremont was called the Trolleyman Pub. Oh, that's right. The Trolleyman that- Pub. Because that building uh, was the old trolley barn for the trolley system of the Seattle trolley car system before we tore up all those tracks and now have been putting them back in, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, 80 years later. Hindsight, what a, what a, a fickle mistress that is. Oh, geez. Um, but, yeah, the trolleyman, I mean, two of my best friends came out of the uh, Red Hook. You know, Mark Marzano, who you should have on sometime, he is the – King beer salesman of of Washington. He was the first beer salesman for Red Hook. Wow. He is now the main North End salesperson for Georgetown Beer. Uh, he worked for Deschutes for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just. I mean, he's a legend in our in our community. And then uh, one of my favorite people and by far my biggest mentor has been Thomas Price. TP. Uh, Thomas Price. TP worked at at Red Hook. That's when I first met him. Uh, then he hired me at the uh, Luau, and he and his wife, Jess, uh, they came out of the Tom Douglas uh, family. And, you know, I, I have this feeling that Tom Pri- Thomas Price it had more influence on the Seattle makeup of margaritas than any other person in the city. And the reason why I say that is because Tom Douglas' second restaurant, Etta's, yeah. after the first Dahlia Lounge, was the first one where he put an actual bar in there. Thomas Price was the bar ma- first bar manager there. Oh, really? He came up with the sweet and sour recipe. Oh. Then he moved to the El Camino. Oh, yeah. Brought that El- that sweet and sour recipe. No El way. Camino, you remember. I don't know. Place. I didn't know he worked at the El Camino. I remember him oh, at He Edis. was the bar manager. Oh, wow. Yeah. So brought that over. So then James Wyman takes that, that sweet and sour recipe. 
He opens pesos, which in Brian Huttmacher, I take it over to the red door. <laughs> it's been, you know, paquitos. I mean, like that thing has uh, influenced more more bars and more people's palates than I, I care to know. Wow. It's like the sourdough starter for uh, the gold rush. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so yeah. fun. Well, those were the days, yeah. man. I remember we yeah. had we had like the bartender's basketball league or something. That's how we all got That's together right. because we didn't work That's till like four o'clock. So we had those lunch times to, to goof around. Well, heck, speaking of bar, bartender basketball, I mean, I got to work for uh, Barba Figueroa, who won a James <laughs> Beard years ago at B. Figueroa, and I got hired because of Joe Janot. Joe Janot. Uh, yeah, I mean, another uh, amazing guy. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he's I'm a West just, Seattle, like, just like me. I see Joe every now and yep, then uh, at the farmer's market, it's, and he's doing yeah, some he, fun he stuff. Yeah, he went to Blanchett, so, you know, I, I, I look past that a little, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, besides uh, that, he's a lovely man. Uh-huh. This is great. So, um, this, the Red Door, you know, I remember heading down there. So, I was there before you actually started working there. I remember going down there in night 88, 89. Yep. And, um, it started in 88. Yeah. And it, it, I didn't remember that it was brand new because it didn't necessarily look new. It, it had this this feel that it was very comfort comfortable, like it had been there the whole time. But well, uh, you know, I mean, so that building um, at that time in '88 was around 80 years old. Okay, so it was it was in a in a historically old building. The back bar, uh, which is still a beautiful back bar, and it stays with the building, even though you know I'm no longer part of the Red Door. You know that that back bar is part of that building. Right. Uh, was White Oak built on the East Coast and sailed down and around the Cape. No freaking way. Because way before the Panama Canal. Wow. Uh, so it's a beautiful back bar. So it kind of gave it that gravitas because it was originally uh, that building, it was a drugstore. Uh-huh. And then for decades, it was the Fremont Tavern, which was probably one of the preeminent tough biker bars I'm sure. in the Northwest. Yeah. I mean, it was tough um and so you know when the red door came along there were people bitching about gentrification then oh boy and about cleaning it up and you know putting carpet on the floors and uh you know serving mussels and clams and <laughs> highfalutin stuff you know and and charging 250 for a pint i know Oh right? my goodness, yeah. Because I remember the, uh, the the taverns in West Seattle. We were strewn with taverns. It was uh, a, what Oli was eighty five cents a pint, and I think you know Rainier was a buck fifteen or something. That, those were the days yeah. when pints were seriously, yeah, yeah. You know, the staple of and, all the you know, alcoholics. If you were really on your down and luck, you would drink Brew sixty six. Oh, that's if yeah. we couldn't afford to get a keg of Rainier, we would get a keg of Brew yeah. sixty six for the high yeah, school so party. West Seattle, where did you guys have your keggers? Oh, I I used to host them at Lincoln Park and Mequon Mooks and sometimes Schmidt's Park, but uh, Lincoln was uh, was always the best because it was big. You could and you could always get away. <laughs> I'm a Discovery Park boy over in Magnolia too, man. Like that's where we cut our eye teeth. Yeah, my my biggest failure was my senior year. I was getting kind of cocky of running, you know, selling keg cups and uh, that's right, and, and two, running keggers. Two bucks know, a so cup. I was already in the beer. I was already running a. A I know business, a, a bar business in my in high school, uh, but I ran one once at Gasworks, and there is not a worse part. If if any high schoolers are listening now, listen to me closely. <laughs> Never throw a keger at Gasworks. There's a 
police boat literally like 100 yards away. So they came by water and by land. They rolled up on us on both sides. Wow. They got my taps. They got my keg. Oh. That was funny, man. The the diamond taps. Those were the value. If you had diamond taps, man, you were in business. You always had to have the tap, man. Okay, Chris, let me tell you. So I'm going to go off off our, our main topic. But when I really got my start was my junior year of high school. My mom and my stepdad, uh, we lived in a warehouse on Westlake. My my parents are radical hippies. Okay. And they got they got themselves arrested for doing civil disobedience, so protesting, political nonviolent protest. But they had been arrested so many times for this nonviolent protesting that the judge sent them to jail for a month. Oh wow. Both my mom and my stepdad. Crazy. And I'm a junior at Franklin living in a warehouse <laughs> on Westlake. And so two weekends in a row, I threw mammoth keggers. I mean, like, I mean, I made money like I hadn't made before in my <laughs> high school years. And I think I was hooked then. So when I came to the Red Door and started seeing drinking actually good beer and seeing how a pro ran a beer program <laughs> and that you could do this legally – I was hooked. I was hooked. I I knew very early on. I started wanting to open a bar uh, by my early 90s. Um, I took my first look at a a tavern for sale, the Elite Two, uh, off off Capitol Hill um, in around 94. Never went through, and I'm glad I didn't. Right. um, Wow. So cool. Who knew that uh, a sleeve of solo cups would be worth 100 bucks or Uh, so true, so fun speaking with Pete Hanning, the uh, the entrepreneur here in Seattle, who uh, the former owner of the Red Door, uh, the center of the universe in Fremont uh, here in Washington State. Uh, stick around, folks. We're going to have more. Uh, talk about the whole move, the moving the entire building, what that takes, and, and uh, what's going to take the place of the Red Door here. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hope you're having a great Saturday night and you got something tasting your glass. I'm pouring a little Four Roses small batch, chill-filtered, 90-proof bourbon in my glass. Going to have that guest on next week, uh, Master Distiller Brent Elliott. And he sent me these samples, so I'm just giving a little preview, and it is delicious, that's for sure. Uh, And I'm also having a delicious conversation with my friend Pete Hanning, who is the uh, former owner-operator of the Red Door in Fremont. Now, Pete, we're talking about um, the 90s here. Uh, Tell me about when you took full ownership of of the property. Yeah, so I was working, I was running the bar program at the Luau up in Tangletown for Thomas and Jessica Price. Uh, it was a precursor to the whole rum and tiki movement that's happening now. We were doing high-end craft tiki cocktails. Um, and my old my old boss, Al Pazinkas, who owned the Red Door, uh, had an opportunity to uh, – the building was going to get moved by the landlord because they were going to develop that block. And so in 2001, I jumped at the opportunity, uh, bought a, a, a stake in the business, um, and helped 
take it from just being a craft beer bar to a full-service uh, Class H bar. So brought in immediately over 140 spirits, and that was back in the time when we had to bring in all our spirits through the through the state stores. Oh, yeah. Um, so I learned a lot there, got really involved in uh, the hospitality association's relationship with the, with the liquor and uh, now the liquor and cannabis board, but back then it was just a LCB liquor control board. Um, and, you know, really brought over, you know, as much as I could, I always wanted to have a good balance representation on that back bar to really meet what we were doing with the beer program because it had had such a great reputation of having world-class beers on that we had really some of the best spirits also to match it. So fun. Um, And so the building that was originally at the site of the PCC uh, markets there, now that's a, that's a whole, whole block um, uh, production there. Well, and actually, Chris, the, the fascinating story of that building is it was built on the Queen Anne side across the street from the Nickerson. So for it was built on Queen Anne, dragged across uh, by horse and log. Really? Um, in, the early, in the early 1900s, before the uh, building of the Ship Canal and the new, Ballard, and the new Fremont Bridge, Placed in uh, where it sat for around 80-some years, um, its second move was only in height because when they built, when they dredged the ship canal and built the Fremont Bridge, they had to bring up the street levels uh, for maritime traffic. And so the second move was only uh, up in height, uh, so they built up the street levels on both sides of, uh, of the ship canal. Right. And then the third move was in 2001 to where it is currently at Evanston and 34th. So it's had three moves in its in its history. So it is a uh, a well traveled building. It's very uh, that that story in itself could be a whole whole conversation. That's pretty cool. I can see it. I can picture it here in my mind, black and white, with that little bit of antique uh, brown gray. And um, just watch, thinking about that, it must have been a spectacle back then. And just oh, you know. it's great. It was great. Now, you, the uh, new building, so you moved it. What did it take to move the building from, you know, what? It was just, what, 60 feet or something, 80 feet? No, it was a it was a couple hundred feet. It was from corner to corner. That's kind of a longer block for Seattle. Oh, yeah, standard. yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, um, but still, um, amazingly, you know, those wooden structures, um, you know, the, uh, there is some, uh, a lot of work that goes into it. But engineering-wise, it's not as complex. Um, the, the more work is we had to fully redo all the interior, um, studs and sheetrocking and, and wiring and plumbing. You know, we were talking about an 80 some year old building at that time and it really needed, um, kind of a full knee rebuild, um, you know, to, to get it back up into, uh, rip roar and shape. Um, but we did all that work. And then we came out of the gate. We opened in September of 2001, right after the 9-11, uh, the week after. Oh, yeah. And that week after was um, Fremont Oktoberfest. And word spread, spread like wildfire. All those college kids were down at Oktoberfest that that first weekend, people were hopping in through our windows because the line was so long. <laughs> I was so ill-prepared. 
And for around the next 12 years, we were one of the top five bars in the state of Washington in volume. Yes. Um, uh, And what an amazing ride. I mean, it just brought so many uh, great times. Uh, I met so many people out of there and then out of the bigger industry as a whole. Uh, It was just lovely. It's fantastic. Now, you didn't meet your wife at the bar, did you? Oh, of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> she was working up, the, uh, living up the street. She had moved out of here after uh, grad school, um, and met her through some good friends of uh, mutual friends of ours. Um, we had just chatted, and it wasn't until uh, one of fateful St. Patrick's Day dash uh, after the beer garden that we had our first kiss. So we did not have our first kiss at the Red Door. Uh, but no, uh, we sure did meet at the Red Door. How about that? So uh, it's so many. It's it's a, it's a place for of so many um, great moments in everyone's lives. I know that I just I look forward to living in West Seattle. So when I left the University of Washington, I, you know, back in West Seattle, I was working um, at Fremont tended to be just a little bit of ways away so Fremont was always a treat to head over there because we it was you know the, the viaduct and we'd head down there and hang out we'd spend a we'd spend a whole day in Fremont really is what it was it was yeah. an excursion day yeah. and of course um lunch and pints and chicken burgers and fries at the Red Door was one of my favorites of all time and I still remember it it's like one of those um indelible moments in uh, a young person's uh, culinary career where you 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 bite into something that is such a staple it's like that's exactly what i want you guys did it well all all the time how many kegs do you think you went through there in the 20 year career that you had at the red door Ooh, boy well we had 22 handles um Primarily in our heyday, no handle. The lowest handle would move two to three kegs per handle a week. Uh, some would do uh, upwards to 10 to 12. Uh, wow. You know, I mean, in the multitudes of thousands. Yeah. Thousands of, of half barrels. That's amazing. Uh, so, you know, kegs are either 50 liters or half barrels. Um, there was a day when um, beer was served in what is called full barrels. Uh, so 32 gallons. Really? Uh, yeah, and they were uh, they weren't stainless steel. They were old, uh, older steel. And so, I mean, those things must have weighed <laughs> close to 300 pounds. I can't imagine trying to roll those things around. Oh boy! But, yeah. My uh, my yeah. great grandfather owned a, a pub in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, he he was uh, so my grand my mom worked at the pub, my grandma worked at the pub. You know, Fish Fridays. Now, being the center of the universe in Fremont, there was a lot of outrageous things. Of course, you had the nude bicyclists and the solstice parade and all that. Um, What did the Red Door do you think mean to the community? Well, I think it was it's local for um, you know for it was around for thirty two years, and it really came in at the vet that that shift where Fremont really started to um, clean up in a way that didn't want to just like take away the history, but kind of funkify it and brighten it up. You know, one of the things I was on the Fremont chamber uh, board for 11 years and the last three years I was the president. Um, You know, we always want to make sure that Fremont is still vibrant and funky. Right. And so you didn't want to just be like everyone else. Um, But, you know, the red door was consistent. Um, And, you know, I 
I, having been a part of it the longest of anyone, and having grown up in the neighborhood, could recognize people coming in that hadn't been around for a long time. Like yourself, if the Commodore of Cocktails walked in, <laughs> I knew exactly who you were. I'd make sure to come over and say hi. And yes, yes, you yeah, did. Yeah. And that was one of the best yeah. things about being a, a restaurateur, a hospitalian, is, uh, oh. you know, you, you were part of the, the fabric that makes the, that, that um, mosaic so lovely. And um, yeah. it's been so fun to, uh, to, to participate. Now, uh, what was the thing you did on the final night? You said the final night was March 8th, and that was just uh, last month. Um, what was that one thing quickly that you – what was your mark? What did you do that, that sort of you know helped you, you know, close the You know, we actually did something in February. We did a Sunday night kind of for former employees and uh, friends a couple weeks out before that final night. Right. Partly so that we had a little more inventory um, and <laughs> sure. gave people a time. So uh, – and – Oh, my God, that morning I was a stress case, and I got a text from my mom, and all it said was, let all the love in. Very and good. And I thought to myself, That's, that is as good of advice as you could give to me in that moment. And, my goodness, I was overwhelmed with the amount of people who came through, the amount of stories, the amount of love in the room. That's good stuff. Um, hey, Pete, hold on. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back finish more with Pete Hanning, The Red Door Story, and here at Happy Hour Radio. Putting America first and holding the powerful accountable. Sean Hannity, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. I'm sipping a little Four Roses Small Batch bourbon. And my guest, Pete Hanning, apparently he's, what are you drinking? E.H. Taylor's Small Batch Bottled and Bond Whiskeys. Have <laughs> you texted me? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, so you had a final night, a farewell night with all the f- former employees, which was wonderful. And on March 8th, you actually closed the doors. What time did, was there a farewell? Did you break the key in the lock? Did you, was there something you did? Did you, you know, what was the last thing you did when you, before you left? Well, last thing I did, you know, um, I had a little uh, sip of Akavi. Uh, I love Linne Akavi. Uh, it's barrel aged and set the alarm. Um, now we came back for the next three weeks and cleaned up the place. You know, right. I want to leave the place better. You know, it's the old Boy Scout adage, sure. leave the place better than you found it. Uh, and we really tried to honor that. The building really uh, requires that, I think. It's such a beautiful building. It's such a nice space. Um, but, you know, it, it was also an opportunity to uh, really try to control closing a chapter and not have it forced on you. And my heart just goes out to everybody right now who uh, might not be able to open their doors again because of this uh, COVID-19 Um, You know, lots of people are sitting on thousands of dollars of inventory that probably went to waste, and they might not have um, money to be able to get payroll up and going again. And that's real serious. And um, my wife, Emily, and I were able to wind our business down in a way that um, that didn't happen. And we were uh, able to give our employees an opportunity to have those big last nights and customers a chance to come in for their last time and sit at the table they met at or celebrate birthdays again. Um, I'm just, you know, my heart is really open to all, 
all folks, you know, regardless of industry. And I don't even think that what we do as a work is the most important thing. It's who we are as humans. But I sure have a lot of empathy for my friends in my industry of hospitality, our industry, um, of what it's going to take to get this thing back up and running uh, when this does clear up. It's, a, and it's I know, up in the air, man. Who knows? It's it's just yeah. it's, it's going to take a lot of – I mean, we're already sacrificing a lot. I remember cleaning out the walk-ins at uh, – uh, the club that I work at because the food was, we inventoried it and now it's going away. So, you know, I had apples and pineapples and pomegranates, like, boy, there's quite a bounty, but you still can't, I mean, you still so much food waste. Uh, and that was yeah. sad. And then with all of our employees, all of my friends who are working, um, gosh, I, I hope that stimulus check is in the mail this week. That would be a real boom to our economy here. Of course, I think all the money's going to Costco and Safeway. Uh, but we, but you know, in the restaurants, I find that the, the takeout stuff they're still hurting. It's just it's hard to to to, to uh, um, patronize all the people you need to patronize in your community, yeah. uh, especially when you've you know you've got. Um, I'm a, I live alone, right? I'm a, I'm a solo diner, yeah. so it's hard to get a meal for one sometimes when you're. Out and about, cause they all meals for two. But um, Pete, what a what a great story! I'm so pleased to capture this uh, this historic conversation because I know that you know in 20, 30 years, who knows where we'll be? But um, maybe somebody will find this file and go, oh yeah, what was Fremont like back then? And we, we captured uh, the story of the Red Door. And of course, you have some things um, looking ahead. What are you going to travel the world? Are you going to start? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, we were going to be traveling, but obviously that's on hold right now. Uh, we have been uh, doing a lot of yard work. We've got a bunch of raised garden beds. We also live right next to a pea patch, so we have a, a plot over there. So have been getting in the onions and the peas and the beans and, uh, you know, uh, putting our fingers in the dirt and kind of connecting with this planet in that way right now seems to be uh, a small way to kind of feel like we're, things are a little better off and not as uh, uh, topsy-turvy as they might be uh, for humanity that to know that the world itself uh, is doing okay. Yes, we are. Uh, the sun is shining. When the sun's shining here in Seattle, it seems like everything in the world is fine, of course. Um, you know, I'm stuck with, not only is this, I live in West Seattle, but they closed the West Seattle Bridge. <laughs> I got yeah. to drive all the way south to get on to cross uh oh it's it's such a now I think I'll be hunkering down I should be doing this this uh spot from my house. <laughs> That'd be much more comfortable instead of dressing up for all y'all out there but um hey Pete Heading uh what a treat. I appreciate your time and appreciate all you've done for our uh culinary community and of course hospitality industry and you've been a role model and of course um a great leader in uh this business and it's hard to believe that we're already in our 50s and uh, uh, we, we feel like old men, but we're in a young yeah. man's business. And uh, best of luck to you and Emily, and I appreciate your time. And thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. All right. Thanks, Commodore. I'd love to come on again. All right. Hey, folks, that's Speed Adding. Good pal of mine. He's done a lot, El Camino, and. Uh, uh, the Luau, the Red Door, of course, and the Old Spaghetti Factory, Spiro's, places that I've, I've dined at all of those places. And um, we look to, to get back to normal uh, as long as we're staying inside and, and being uh, um, uh, respectful of social distancing. I hope that uh, we'll, we'll expedite uh, this, this uh, plague that has um, taken over. And when you have a chance to be out and about, out there drinking, patronizing bars and restaurants, remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!